Okay, Chavu. You're about to learn one of the most remarkable things you've ever seen in your lives. It's it's extremely controversial, less now than it used to be, as we get closer to Mashiach. Remember that we're in the sugya of Moshe Meis v'Yeshua Machnis. The Koch of Mashiach ben Yosef is Yeshua. We learned that inside Kalatar last week. For those of you here, you remember, where the Gra, through the teachings of his Talmud, Reb Hillel, revealed that Mashiach ben Yosef, the Koch of Mashiach ben Yosef, is manifested in Yeshua. We spoke about the Nevuah that is continuing on through the generations, you remember, from Eldad and Medad? The Nevuah, the ongoing prophecy that Misnabim Baholchim, we don't find that in any other Nevuah, where the Nevuah didn't just conclude, with the exception of the Torah, where it says, Kol God of Yosef, where the sound somehow of Maimon Hasinai, of Anochi Hashem continues on. With that, with, 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 uh, with that exception, as far as any of the Nevi'im are concerned, the only Nevuah that we find that the Nevuah continues on throughout time is that of Eldad and Medad, which is Moshe, Meis, Yeshua Machnes. The Moshe Rabbeinu, which is the Bechina of Mashiach Mandavi, which is Leia. That was the Hanhag, as we learned last week, of the desert. Rachli Menu, which is Eretzisel, which is Knesset coming into the land and conquering the land and taking the land and establishing the land, building it, as we learned. Remember the jobs of Mashiach Ben Yosef? To conquer and to settle, to build Eretz and Yerushalayim. All of that is under the purview of Mashiach ben Yosef, which is Yeshua. Yeshua. And in order to understand Sef Yeshua, it's impossible on a deeper level without understanding the Indian of Mashiach ben Yosef, which we've been learning the last few weeks. The truth is, I should have given, really, I felt maybe it would be proper to give another week to get ready for this, but I, I, I hold back. It was Hashgachah Pratis that, that for the benefit of, of many of you, that will be able to do it in English, instead of Rav Cook's Hebrew, even though it's Chaval, Rav Cook's Hebrew is, you know, so beautiful, but it, it would be much harder to do it in Hebrew than, than um, doing it in, in the English. So, no, Shalmoni, do me a favor. I have my desk the Hebrew, Mamari Raya. You'll see the brown safer. We'll go back a little bit to the Hebrew. This was translated by Bitzal Naor, who has done some beautiful work in, in translating Rav Cook's writings, the Irish, and some of his historical, Rav Cook's letters, historical essays. This is the, this is referred to as the lamentation in Yerushalayim. In Hebrew, it's, the, it's a mispeid, it's a hesped, a eulogy. I know that some of you have heard about this eulogy, it's quite famous. Much to Rav Cook's misfortune, Two months after he came to Israel, Dr. Herzl, Theodor Herzl, passed away. Now, the reason it was much to his misfortune, Shkai, the reason that it was much, it was much to his misfortune, besides that a Jew died, that's everybody's misfortune, but Rav Cook was suddenly caught up in, the, in all of the politics of Israel that he stepped into. Because on the one hand, the old community of Yerushalayim Sras, Tveria, those old communities had no affection for Dr. Herzl, as you know. 
He was a person who celebrated Christmas, as we know from his diaries. He was a person who was prepared to establish a Jewish state in Africa. He was very, very, very far from Yiddishkeit, very far from Yiddishkeit. When he came to Yerushalayim, he went straight up to the Harabais. And, and Rabbi Chaim Zonderfeld said, I was wondering, why did Herzl want to come to Yerushalayim so badly? So now I understand, because he wasn't able to be over every day when he was in Chutzlars. <laughs> and he couldn't violate the entire terror when he was in Chutzlars. So he wanted to come here just to make sure that he got you know, through all the Averis. So he, he was not loved in the old community, as, as everybody here knows. On the other hand, Rav Cook was in Yafo. He was not in Yerushalayim. He was the Rav of Yafo. Two months in, into the job. And Yaffa was not only the city of Yaffa, which nowadays there's not much, it's more of an artist gallery, and there are a lot of Arabs there, but, but Yaffa, at the beginning of the 20th century, was a, was a very active center of Jewish life. It was more of the modern Jewish life that was developing there, as Yaffa and, and Tel Aviv were being, Tel Aviv was being developed at that time, just starting the development of Tel Aviv. So the more modern and secular people were moving out there in great numbers. And the job that Rav Kook had as, as Yafa Rav, which they always called him in the old Yishuv, even after he became Rav, they didn't recognize that position. They always called him Yafa Rav. That position of being the Rav of Yafo not only included the city of Yafo and what was beginning next door in Tel Aviv, <coughs> but it also was all of the Moshavot, all of the Yishuvim, the new communities, the kibbutzim, the towns, the villages around, all the way to Rechavos, to Rechavot, really was under the jurisdiction of Rav Kuk. So th- these were people who were great, great Hasidim of, of, of Herzl, you understand. There were many Hasidim there of Herzl. So Rav Kuk, on the one hand, couldn't bring himself to be maspid, to say a hespid for Theodor Herzl, who was a person who was an open violator of Torah, in a very brazen way, and despised by the old Yishuv. On the other hand, he was afraid of alienating all of these Jews who just now took him as Rav, and he was trying to be a of them. And they wouldn't understand. Like, why can't you say a husband over a Jew that died? Not only a Jew that died, they saw him as, as being a great Jew. They loved Herzl. They saw him as being a, a redeemer, a great person. This, this conflict that he was suddenly caught up in was very painful to him. There's actually, there's actually a letter that he wrote to his illustrious father-in-law, the Adaris. He wrote a, a, a letter to his father-in-law to explain his position because his father-in-law was like besieged by everybody. How could, how could your son-in-law do this? How could he, make, how could he say eulogy over Theodore Hertz? How could he say such a thing? So, Rav Cook wrote a letter that's also translated into English, if anybody would like to see. It's part of this collection of letters. He wrote a short letter to his father-in-law explaining why he felt that he had to do something. He couldn't just ignore this. He couldn't ignore the death of Herzl. On the other hand, as you'll see in the Hespid, he doesn't mention Herzl once. Not even once. Doesn't talk about anything that the man did. Doesn't even allude to him at all in the Hespin. But instead, Rav Kook brings us into the world of Mashiach ben Yosef, which he saw Herzl 
as part of that world. He was not saying that Herzl is Mashiach ben Yosef. <coughs> because as we'll see, there's something that's called Ikvei, or Ikvos Mashiach meaning like a subdivision or power, or an energy of Mashiach ben Yosef. We've been learning that the past few weeks, that there's an energy of Mashiach ben Yosef. There's a koach of Mashiach ben Yosef. And, and that's where Avkok saw in Herzl. And he put that into the context of what was happening at his time in Eretz And everything that we're learning, he brings everything that we're learning, he brings it together. We'll talk a little bit after we do the Hespit, we'll learn a little bit more exactly in Chumash with Rachli Menor, Le'i Menor, Yaakov, Yosef, and Yehuda to get a better sense of where Rav Kook was coming from. And then Mitzvah will be able to start Sefer Yeshua. We'll be able to, to learn Yeshua with this understanding. So we're going to do it in English as much as I'd rather do it in Lashon HaKadosh, but it'll make it much easier for you to learn, even though some of you would be fine in Hebrew, but for many of you it would be difficult, and it'll be easier to remember and to review. So let's, let's do <coughs> the lamentation in Yerushalayim. So he doesn't want to even call it. It's called in Hebrew, HaMispeid Yerushalayim. It's called the eulogy. But it's translated as the lamentation in Yerushalayim on the death of Dr. Theodor Herzl, the 20th of Tammuz, 1904. <coughs> Rav Kook arrived, Chav Ches Iyar. He came to Israel, the 28th of Iyar. That's when he arrived. So this is, this is the 20th of Tammuz. He, he didn't get a break. Like that it was a very short time after he got. He got a lot of trouble for this. You'll see. So he brings he brings uh, he, he brings the the pasuk. It's a very very mysterious pasuk. On that day, the lamentation will be great in Yerushalayim, like the lamentation of Hadadrimon in the Valley of Megiddo. Now, who's Hadadrimon? And oh, the Valley of Megiddo is Megiddo, but who's Hadadrimon? We'll see in a minute. The Pasuk is talking about, about some crying, some, <clears throat> some tragedy that took, that took place. And there's a eulogy that was said, a lamentation, a kina, a eulogy in Yerushalayim. And it's compared to the lamentation of Hathadrimon in the valley of Megiddo. The sages say, the Pasuk is in Sechar Yud Beis. That, that's the, where the Pasuk is for those of you. Yud Beis Yud Aleph. The sages say that Yonas and Ben Uziel translated the prophets into Aramaic. Targum Yonasan. He translated into Aramaic. And the land of Israel trembled for an area of 400 parasangs by 400 parasangs. That when, that when Yonas and Ben Uziel, when Yonas and Ben Uziel translated the Nevi'im, into Aramaic, <coughs> all of Israel was trembling. The whole country was trembling. It was the whole country was shaking and moving. Meaning there was something cataclysmic that took that happened as a result of the targum of the Nevi'im. The reason for the disturbance was that contained in the prophets are things which are not explicit but veiled. There are things that are hidden in Navi that are not open and obvious, and through the Targum, Yonasim ben Uziel did not only translate in a literal sense, but he also explained. And Yonasim ben Uziel had great Ruch HaKadosh, and he revealed, he uncovered some of the great secrets of Tanakh. 
So the reason for the disturbance was that contained in the prophets are things which are not explicit but veiled, namely this verse. This Pasuk that we just read, which is completely veiled, we don't know what it's talking about, that on that day the lamentation will be great. Nobody knows what that's talking about. Yonis of Nuziel uncovered that. As Rav Yosef said, were it not for its Aramaic translation, I would not know to what the verse refers. What this, what's the Pasuk talking about? The sages report that Yonis ben Uziel stood up <laughs> on his feet and declared, It is I who revealed your mysteries to men. That Yonis ben Uziel said, I declared Hashem's mysteries to men. He who said, and the world came into being, meaning Hashem, knows full well that I did, that I did this neither for my honor nor the <coughs> honor of my father's house, but only the controversy not proliferate in Israel. So Yonis ben Uziel first has this disclaimer. But who am I to, to reveal these secrets of Tanakh that Hashem was hiding in these psukim, these mysterious psukim, and particularly this pasuk? And he said, I didn't do this for any covet, not for myself, not for my father's house. I did this to try to prevent machloikis from spreading within Klai We should inquire, what was the veiled reference contained in this verse? It was revealed by Yonason's paraphrase, like the Lamentations. Now, what did Yonason explain? So he, Yonason ben Uziel, tells us, what, what, what is this mispay? What is this eulogy? What's the crying about? In Yushalayim. On that day, the Lamentation will be great in Yushalayim, like the Lamentation of Hadadriman in the Valley of Megiddo. What is that? So he revealed like the lamentation for Achav, son of Omri, the king, who was killed by Hadadrimon, son of Tabrimon, in Ramot Gilad, and like the lamentation for Yoshiyahu, son of Ammon, killed by Parunecho in the valley of Megiddo. So, two different tragedies were brought together, two different Hespedim, two different lamentations, one is over Achav, the son of Omri. And the second is the death of Yoshio, that of course we cry about in the Kinas of Tishaba. Right? Yumyo, the Kin of Yumyohu al Yoshio. Furthermore, how did this revelation of this divine mystery prevent proliferation of controversy? So Yosef and Azil gave away the secret that the, the Hespedim that we're talking about, these great Hespedim, were Hespedim over Achav and Yoshio. That's Aleph. He gave away the secret. And that there's a Hespade in Yushalayim that is as great, is as great as the Hespedim, the crying, the lamentations, the keenness over the death of Achav and the death of Yoshio. That's how great the Hesped is in Yushalayim. Now remember, Rav Kook is saying a Hesped over Herzl, which is a non-Hesped. But he's saying a Hesped over Herzl in Yushalayim. And he begins with this Pasuk, and with this, and with this 
explanation of Yonason ben Uziel. How does this prevent Machlaikis from spreading? What is this? What does this have to do with Machlaikis? Now, our sages said that this lamentation, so what is this great lamentation, this great eulogy that's being compared to the Hespade over Achav and Yoshio? What is the great Hespade in Yushalayim? So Chazal tell us that this lamentation will be for Mashiach ben Yosef, who was killed. So if Cook says the entire concept of two Mashiachs, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, requires explanation. Now we spoke about this already for a while. Why the need for two Mashiachs? At this point we'd be happy if we just got one, right? <laughs> but why the need for two Mashiachs when the goal is to have one man preside over the entire Jewish nation? As it says, and David, my servant, shall be prince unto them forever. The David Avdi, Nasi Lahem Laolam, said Yeheskalam Zayin. The David Avdi, Nasi Alehem Laolam. Lahem Laolam. So why two? The key to understanding this dichotomy lies in examining the individual human being. God created in man a body and a soul, and corresponding to them, forces that strengthen and develop the body, as well as forces that strengthen and cultivate the soul. Ultimate wholeness is achieved when the body is strong and well-developed, <coughs> and the soul, vital and cultivated, leads all the faculties of the body in the service of the intellect which is God's will in his world. So if Cook says the ultimate wholeness of man is when the body is healthy and strong, when the body is healthy and strong and developed, and the soul is vital, cultivated, rich, the soul is rich, and the soul leads all of the faculties, the soul which is the essence of man, leads all of the faculties of the body, eating and sleeping and everything that we do, in the service of the intellect, of the mind, of the essence of man, which is God's will in his world. That's the Tachas. So that's the, with the individual person. The Mekuk explains, so on the collective level of Israel, God ordained <coughs> these two faculties. So in Knesset Yisrael, and the Jewish people, Hashem ordained two koiches, a faculty corresponding to the physical entity that aspires to material improvement of the nation. There's a koach in Am Yisrael of the Guf, and this koach aspires all the time to bring to the material improvement of the Jewish people, the material, material improvement of our lives in Gashmi's the body of Am Yisrael. And the second facet, devoted to the cultivation of spirituality, of the soul, of the neshama, of the Jewish people. By virtue of the first aspect, Israel is comparable to all the nations of the world. As far as the body is concerned, and the, and the need 
for physical, material improvement and care, Israel is comparable to all of the nations of the world who, also, who are also seeking that. It is by dint of the second aspect that Israel is unique. What is unique about Am Yisrael, this doesn't mean to say that there isn't any spiritual interest in the rest of the world, but the spiritual interests of the rest of the world are part of the guf of the world. Not, they don't come from the neshama. What is unique about Yisrael is that it is by dint of the second aspect that Israel is unique, as it says, the Lord leads it alone. Hashem badad yanchen. Hashem badad yanchen. That we have this unique relationship with Hashem. And that Am Yisrael has not only a guf, a physical existence, but the Nishmas Yisrael is a it's a portion of God Himself. Behold a people that shall dwell alone and not be reckoned among the nations that were unique. It is the Torah and unique sanctity of Israel that distinguish it from the nations. Next page. Originally, these two faculties were assigned to the two tribes destined to rule Israel, Ephraim and Yehuda. Now, Rav Kook is picking up on the story at that point. Of course, we learned, based upon the Kisveri, we learned that it began in Gan Eden Remember, began in Gan Eden. Rav Kook is not going back to that now. That's what we learned in the Tikkunim and the Kisveri. He speaks about that in different places, but in the Hesbit, he doesn't go. Remember, this is not a long Hesbit, just a few uh, pages. I don't know how long it took for him to say, but he picks up on the story by the Shvat. He doesn't even go back to, to, to discuss here, in this context, the obvious and the Imams. He speaks about Yosef and Yehuda. Originally, these two faculties were assigned to the two tribes destined to rule Israel, Ephraim, which is Yosef, and Yehuda, which is another way of saying Yosef and Yehuda. The deeds of the father... The deeds of the fathers are assigned to the sons, which everybody here is familiar with. So what began there with Yosef and Yehuda, just as in the beginning, Yosef was the provider sent by God to save many from starvation. Yosef was sent ahead. Hashem sent Yosef ahead to be in Mitzrayim to save not only his family, but to save all of Egypt, and of course his family as well, from starvation, who sustained Yaakov and his sons materially when they came to Egypt looking for grain. So Yosef at Sadiq was assigned to take care of the material existence of the Jewish people of Am Yisrael, so in future generations, the descendants of Yosef would develop the material side of Jewish national existence. That forever, that is the responsibility of the children of Yosef and the Koch of Mashiach ben Yosef. The material, physical well-being of Am Yisrael. Yosef is paradigmatic in other ways as well. Chazal say that he was nivla, he was swallowed up by the nations. Yosef went to Mitzrayim, 
swallowed up by the nations means that he was hidden. He appeared to be an Egyptian. He appeared as a powerful Egyptian ruler who was called Safnas Panea. And we see that later on in history that the descendants of Yosef would become swallowed up by the nations. They would be lost among the nations. They'd be assimilated among the nations. Yosef, of course, was Yosef. He remained Yosef. The Yosef Hayyub Mitzrayim. As Rashi says, on the post of Yosef Hayyub Mitzrayim, he remained Yosef. His identity to him was strong and clear. But as we spoke about in the first year, his brothers already couldn't recognize him. Which is very odd. <coughs> and everybody's trying to figure out how could that be. That his brothers didn't recognize him. Behem lo kiru. Something happened even to Yosef on some level by being in Egypt that his brothers couldn't recognize him. So Chazal say that, that this, the descendants of Yosef would be swallowed up among the nations. There is a cr- much greater danger of assimilation of loss of identity by the children of Yosef, what happened to the children of Yosef, the descendants of Yosef at Tzadik. He was also fluent in 70 languages. We don't find that by the other Shvatim. Yosef at Tzadik, of course, lived in Egypt, and he was part of the Malchus, and Yosef was fluent in 70 languages. Now, this last point symbolizes the, continu- the contiguity between Israel and all the nations of the world. So Yosef and Mashiach ben Yosef is that point that is shared between the Jewish people and the nations of the world. The material, ex- material physical existence. And because of this similarity, that just as Am Yisrael is longing for physical and material health and well-being, so too the nations of the world. And Yosef was king over Egypt, and the physical world is the, is the domain of the 70 nations as well. Therefore, the, therefore, in this regard, there's going, to be, there's going to be a relationship between the Jewish people and the nations of the world. There's going to be, there's going to be a connection between the two. Therefore, Yosef is fluent in 70 languages. Just as a Jew has to be fluent in the languages of the world in order to survive in this world. Whatever that language is, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer, whether it's a milkman or a farmer. But it means to be fluent in the languages of physical existence. And Yosef Sadiq was fluent in the 70 languages. And in that respect, Jews have to be fluent in the language of physical success and survival. We have to be fluent in farming, in banking, and, and medicine, and so on. We have to be fluent in the languages of the world. This fluency comes from Yosef Atzal, which is the Or of Mashiach ben Yosef, which is the Koch of Yosef through the generations, to sustain us physically, materially. Despite this, Yosef knew the power of his holiness. Of course, this is what we're learning on Sunday mornings. And there's a lot... That's, there's a lot of connection between what we're learning uh, now and, and the Sunday morning shir, which will become more obvious as we go further along with the Kedusha of Yisod. But what's remarkable is that Davka Yosef is Tzadik Yisod Olam. Yosef is Tzadik, Tzadik Yisod Olam. It's the meat of Yisod. Which, of course, doesn't really go into the Indian of Yisod. Here. But Davka, the one who is assigned the responsibility for physical well-being 
and who is sort of absorbed in Egypt and is living there like an Egyptian or disguised and posing as an Egyptian Davka Yosef is Tzadik despite this Yosef knew the power of his holiness it is for this reason that Chazal tells us that Esav succumbs only to the children of Rachel which means Yosef and Yosef is the Sitno Shal Esav which we spoke about Yosef is the one who fights against Esav, against the Amalek that's one of the responsibilities of Mashiach and Yosef, is to lead us to war, as we spoke about from the Vilna Gaim, to lead us in war against, against our enemies, primarily against B'nai Esau. As the adage goes, the axe handle that fells the forest is made of wood. Ms. Chazal used this expression. Of course, in this context, it means that the one who is among the nations understands how to destroy the nations. The axe handle that knocks down the, the, the trees, the, wood, the trees of wood, is made of wood. So there's the fabric of Yosef at Sadiq somehow is shared with the nations of the world. And because of that, he is our agent in the world. He's our agent in the world. And because he knows the 70 languages, and he is part of that world of Egypt he's able to destroy that world he's the one who leads us to battle against that world Yehuda on the other hand symbolizes that which is distinctive about the Jewish people that which is uniquely Jewish Yehuda Haisi Yehuda L'Kadshah Yisrael Mamshalah Haisi Yehuda L'Kadshah Yehuda became his sanctified one. Hoise Yehuda Lakadja. See Yehuda Yehuda speaks like speaks Hebrew and Yiddish. There's Hebrew and Yiddish. And Yehuda Hoise Yehuda Lakadja. He did not go among the nations. The koach of of Am Levadad Yishkon Abagoyim Lo Yischashav, the distinctiveness of Am Yisrael, the separation from the nations of the world. This is the root of the machlokas between Yosef and his brothers before Egypt ever, before Yosef ever went down. This is the this is the difference that the brothers that, that the brothers saw that Yosef was seemed to be uh, concerned with outside appearances. Chazal say that they saw that he was Masalsal Basaro, that he was taking care of, his, care of his hair, he was whatever, doing something with his hair. So to, to Yehuda, who was the king of the, of the other Shvatim, so to Yehuda this was a terrible, terrible perversion. A terrible perversion. What does the Jew have? And so what are you, what are you standing over there with a, with a blow dry? <laughs> my father said, my father said, that he, the first, he couldn't believe it when he, he went to he went he was Erev Yom Kippur many many years ago he went to the mikveh and he said I he said he came back he said you're not going to believe it I saw a man blow drying his hair <laughs> well, I said he, he couldn't get over it there was, he said I said yeah I said, yeah there was a man blow drying his hair 
standing there with a hairdryer. <laughs> That's already a long time ago. So the brothers that saw that Yosef is Masal Sabasara. What's this in you? What are you what are you looking in the mirror? You're you fixing your hair. As they saw as a shaykhist to the to the nations of the world. This is not uh, it's not from us. And and they came to the conclusion that as Nishnunzer, you know, he's it's not one of ours. There's something wrong with him. There's something wrong. He's different. So, whereas of Yosef, as far as Yosef is concerned, the Pasuk says, Oihel shikain ba'adam. Shiloh, a tent pitched among men. Now, you know the Mishkan of Shiloh, of course, is in the territory of Yosef Tzadik. Have some of you been to Shiloh? You've been to Shiloh. You can still see that there, there are the um, ruins of the, of the Mishkan of Shiloh. It's an amazing place to, to see. I'll know. It's, it's, it's an amazing place. So, that's in the territory of Yosef Tzadik. So, the Pasuk says, there, Shiloh, a tent pitched among men. Ohel shikain ba'odam. Shikain ba'odam. A tent pitched among men. Not in Yushalayim, but among men. Away from Yushalayim. So, whereas Yehuda is ha'isiru l'kadshoi, Kedusha, separate, and so on. In all the levels of Kedusha of Yushalayim. But Yosef HaTzadik is a tent pinched among men. He's out there. The whole presence of Yosef in Shechem, and the fact that Yosef HaTzadik is buried in Shechem, is mind-boggling. Because in Eretz Yisrael, the place in Eretz Yisrael, which is the headquarters of Peronius, Chazal say, of evil, where the nations of the world are sitting like cockroaches and snakes. It has always been Shechem. And you see what our enemies have with the kever of Yosef Atzalik. They mishigu with the kever of Yosef Atzalik. There's some of them that, that, that want that the kever, that, nobody, that, that, that the other Yishmaelim shouldn't touch the kever of Yosef Atzalik. And they're angry with the young uh, Arabs that are breaking it down. And then the other ones that are breaking it down, the mishigu to destroy, to, to desecrate the kever of Yosef Atzalik. I, they themselves believe in Yosef Atzadi. And, and what's Yosef Atzadi? What's, what's a nice Jewish boy doing in such a neighborhood? And how do you end up in such a place? In Shechem. Which Chazal already said, it's that's where the kingdom of Yosef and Yehuda, that's where the kingdoms were divided. But that's exactly why. And why the nations of the world have this shaykhus, they feel a shaykhus, and the Yishmaelim in that place of Shechem, which is the place of Yosef HaTzadik of Shiloh. So if Cook continues, the purpose of choosing the kingdom of David was that these two faculties be integrated. In other words, the Tachlis is healthy soul. And that the soul will lead the body. That's the tachlis. That Mashiach ben Yosef will be subservient to Mashiach ben David. The body, which is the domain of Yosef at Sadiq, of Mashiach ben Yosef, will be strong and will, and will 
humble itself before the soul, which is Mashiach ben David, which is the Koch of, of Yehuda. That's the Tachlis. <coughs> that these two faculties be, integ- faculties be integrated. That they not cancel, but rather reinforce one another. They're not supposed to cancel each other. This whole war between, between this is what Rav Kuk was, of course, writing about. What he was crying about. This was, his whole life was crying. This war between the old Yeshuv and the new Yeshuv. This terrible separation between Jews who all they cared about was the Neshama. And they didn't take care of themselves physically. They were schnurring. And they were taking tzedakah. And they didn't take care of themselves physically. On the other hand, the ones who left Yiddishkeit behind, and they saw Yiddishkeit as something which is not for them, the world of Haisi Yehudah and they became completely, completely immersed in the physical well-being of the Jewish people. They loved Jews. They were great lovers of the Jewish people. But they believed that the, that the, that the redemption was a physical redemption. They had, didn't want to have anything to do with Torah and mitzvahs. They didn't have anything to do with Torah and mitzvahs. Just like the old Yeshua didn't want to have anything to do with anything that was secular. Nothing with the 70 languages, nothing with that world, with, the, with this world. So Rav Kook writes that these two faculties that were supposed to be integrated, that they not cancel, but rather reinforce one another. That's the Tachlis. We find an interesting comment of the Medrash regarding the person of David. David, of course, was of ruddy complexion. Admaini. He had a reddish, ruddy complexion. Just as Asaph was ruddy. Everybody knows that he's compared, he's compared to Asaph who's also Admaini. Edom. Red. Ruddy. The difference being, Chazal tells us, and the Pasuk says, that David was Yefei Einaim. He had beautiful eyes. Symbolizing that he would execute only with the permission of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. Which the Gemara says that he had within him this energy, this strength of Esau, this koch of Esau, <coughs> but he had the eyes of the tzaddik. He had the eyes of Ein Yaakov, like it says in Chumash. Ein Yaakov. And yes, this koch of Ein Yaakov. The Dodmach had, it was Yifei Nami, had beautiful eyes. It means that he would only execute with the permission of the Sanhedrin. Everything he did, when it would come to carrying out the wars and executing the evildoers, he did with the permission of Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are called Einei Ha'eda. The Tzadikim are called the eyes of the Jewish people. So the Gemara says that Dovdemach had this violent streak in him. He was not a mighty. But he did everything with the Rishus of the Sanhedrin. With the eyes of the Tzadikim. He had beautiful eyes, Dovdemach. Written large, David's kingdom should have been the collection of the material powers necessary for a great and mighty kingdom. Ideally, written large means ideally, David HaMelech and Malchus based David would itself contain within it the material powers that are necessary for a great and mighty kingdom. Remember, David HaMelech was a warrior. He was a great warrior. He wasn't allowed to build the Mesemirkus because his hands, was, his hands were, were covered with blood. That he fought wars that were wars 
that he was commanded by Hashem to fight. He was a great warrior. So, ideally, in Malchus based David, there would be this collection of material powers necessary for a great and mighty kingdom, coupled with spiritual excellence. Unfortunately, sins brought about that Israel rejected the Davidic dynasty. This has been going on since then. That Israel rejected the Davidic dynasty, whereby the nation was divided in two, which of course is connected to what happened in Gan Eden, which we learn. And Israel and the nation was divided in two. The ten tribes that seceded were subsumed under Ephraim, which is in reality Yosef which would become lost among the nations. The ten tribes that seceded, that separated, were subsumed under Ephraim, which is in reality Yosef. Ephraim is Yosef. And the, and the kings were the kings from Yosef. And the two tribes that remained there subsumed under, under Yehuda. Were it not for this split, all would have been united under the tree of Yehuda. Eitz Yehuda. The psalmist, Dovid Melech, gives expression to this vision of unity. <clears throat> he will subdue peoples under us and nations under our feet. We say this passage by Tkir Shoifer, Yad ber amem tachtenu, l'umem tachas He will subdue peoples under us and nations under our feet. He will choose for us our inheritance. The excellence of Yaakov, Gaon Yaakov, which he loves, Asher Ahav, Selah. That's the vision of unity. He will subdue peoples under us and nations under our feet, which is the koach, the physical koach, <coughs> to destroy our enemies and to succeed in the world. And it will choose for us our inheritance, the excellence of Yaakov, which is the Ruchnias, which is the Or of the Shechina. By gathering together these two powers, both would benefit. The material would be rarefied and sanctified by its exposure to the unique sanctity of Israel. The material, the guf, gashmas, would be rarefied, would be uplifted and sanctified by its exposure to the unique sanctity of Am Yisrael. <clears throat> and the spiritual would be invigorated to enhance Israel. And the spiritual would be invigorated, would be strengthened in a healthy army Israel. The Jews are healthy and strong and take care of ourselves and have our own place with our own army and take care of ourselves. Eventually, the rays would light up the entire world. This will be the case in the future. As it says in the Nevoah of the end of time, And shall happen on that day that the root of Yishai who shall stand as an ensign to the peoples. To him shall nations inquire, the entire world. 
and his resting place shall be glorious. No longer shall there be war between two factions. There will no longer be a war between the Shvatim, between the Malchus of David and the Malchus of Ephraim of Yosef, of Yisrael. There will no longer be a Melchama between the Neshama and the Guf. There will no longer be a Melchama between Jews who are religious and Jews who are not religious. All of that will end. We'll no longer feel that we're being torn and pulled in different directions. And then Am Yisrael will be a model to all the nations of the world. We couldn't be this through all the years of Gaulus. We learned this in the Maimah Hadori, we were talking about this. We couldn't be this. They were, they were our enemies, and because of our enemies, we were so diminished in Gaulus, physically diminished. Yeah, we were shining with the light of Torah in our yeshivas and in our communities. But we certainly could not be a light for the nations of the world. And it wasn't our fault, even though, of course, we contributed to it, but it was the fault of our enemies that we were crushed in such a way. And we lost our, we lost our sense of independence and dignity and and the need, to, the need, or the understanding that we need to take care of ourselves and to be our own people, and so on. And we became the subjects of of, of rulers who despised us, and took advantage of us, and so on. And we were shrunken, diminished. No longer shall there be war between two factions, but rather complete peace. That is the greatest honor. But it was not to last. Our sins brought about the division of the kingdom. And these two powers that should have been united developed each in its own way, oblivious to its companions. Due to our many sins, both of the faculties were greatly damaged. So not only was the, God, not only was the, was the uh, physical state of Amisov damaged by the split, but in Ruchnius we were, we were also terribly, terribly damaged. The Ruchnius is not the same either. The kingdom of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, founded by Yeravim, who was appointed by Shlomo Amalek over the task force of Yosef in appreciation of his practical talent, turned its back on Israel's unique sanctity. That's the chait of Yeravim ben Nevat. Of course, this is when the split would take place. Yeravim didn't want to have anything to do. Yeravim, who was from the Malchus of Ephraim of Yosef, was overly fascinated with the 70 nations of the world. He did not want to have the Kedusha of Haisi Yudel He did not want to have Yeshiva Bachan anymore. He did not, want, did not want to have Kailulim. He did not want to have this whole Ruchniyistika thing. He didn't want it anymore. Now, he had tremendous practical talent. Yeravim was a great leader of the world of, of Mashiach ben Yosef of that world of Yosef itself. But he turned his back on Israel's unique sanctity. But he turned his back, and the, and the Malchus of Ephraim of Yosef turned its back on the unique sanctity of Am Levadad Yishkon, Bagarim Lo Yishash. 
and me you have thrown behind your back. It says the Lush and the Pasik is Vaisi his Shlachta Achre Achre Goyach Govecha. It's in Malachim Aleph. You have you have thrown me. Oh wait, you have thrown me behind your back. This was the source of the sin of idolatry. This is where Avadazar comes from. To worship something that's physical. To worship something that's physical. This was the source of the sin of idolatry that developed in time into Israel's ongoing aping of the nation's negative traits. Aping meaning to imitate, to try to impersonate the negative traits of the nations. So I was just, I was just reading this every the other day about, you know, Rabbi Chaska Levenstein, he was a very, very holy tzaddik, Rabbi Chaska. He's a big, big tzaddik. And he was in America for a short time. After the war, he was in America for a short time, and then he went to Israel. He was the Moshiach in Panavish. To the end of his life, all he ever spoke about was the the Tuma of America, and 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 people like were getting uh, annoyed with it because Jews have great appreciation for America, and and we also experienced worse places, and life was good for us here. And I was reading the same. There were there were other Rosh Hashivas that were upset that Reb Haskell, every time he spoke, he would speak about when he was in America, Tumma, he never saw in his life such a Tumma in America. Now, look, people say that nowadays too, but they're, they're just, that means they're just anxious to get there to go shopping. You know? <laughs> but he really meant it. You know? they, they were jealous. Now they're jealous because you know, their relatives live here, they're not here. But he really meant it. He really meant it. And what he explained in a number of his letters was that he's not saying that we should be ungrateful. We're very grateful that we have a place to go, that Jews could live there. But he said that he said that the klipa of America is not a klipa that's evil. The people are good people, he said. The Americans are good people. Fakir, he said in Europe, the Rishoyim and anti-Semites, he said the Americans are essentially, he said, they're good people, they're kind people, and they're letting Jews st- come and stay there. That's not what he was saying. He was saying... What he said was that the obsession with Gashmi is that he saw in America, this is 1946, 1947, <laughs> the obsession that he saw with, with, with Gashmi is when he was being taken in a car to try to raise some money for the Sheriff's Apleta, so when the car came with, he didn't know where he, he didn't know, he was never in America, he didn't know where he was, and he had his head down, and he was sitting with his eyes on the, on, at his feet in the car, he started to scream, but they were getting close to, to uh, Times Square. In 1946-47, whatever that was, they were close to Times Square. He started to scream that he can't go. He felt you can't drive over here. You can't go through this place. And they had to go all the way around or something. I don't know where they had to go. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He said, "There's no way that we can go through this place." Times Square. Then, Gregory Peck, you know, Cary Grant. What was going on over there? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, was, what was the big deal? Bob Hope? What was, what was, what was happening over there? And, and he couldn't. Rabchazka says, oh, I can't go over here. And for a long time after he got to Estrella, he said he has to 
recuperate for what he had in America, what he had, what he went through in America, what he went through in America. He never left the Dalai of Kedusha, where he was, he, that's how he was under Talos the whole time, but he felt the klipa of the Gashmis, the Gashmis, he says, so thick, without God, just like physical things, physical life is, is, is the object of worship of this place. He said he never saw, so it's just a klipa, at the same time the people are very kind people, he said, but the klipa of, is very thick in America, this klipa, <coughs> this Avodah the deification of things. That's what he's talking about. The deification of property, of belongings. The, that, that he hadn't ever experienced such a thing. How seriously Gashmi is taken in America. How, how, how big it is over here. That was something that was new for him. <clears throat> this was the source of the sin of idolatry that developed in time into Israel's ongoing aping of the nation's negative traits the imitation of the nations of the world. Remember, Yosef was in Mitzrayim, he was Tzadik, and he was Yosef in Mitzrayim. But his descendants, many of them become, became swallowed up among the nations. <coughs> to imitate. It doesn't just mean the physical descendants, it means the Jews. To imitate, aping the nations of the world, to imitate the negative traits of the nations of the world. At its nadir, it was said, Ephraim is assimilated among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake readily devoured. The Lashon of the Pesach, Ephraim ba'amim hu yizbolel, Ephraim hayauga bli hafucha, is Hoshea zayin. Ephraim ba'amim hu yizbolel, Ephraim hu'uga bli hafucha. Ephraim is assimilated among the, among the peoples, is a cake readily devoured, like that the children of Ephraim, when they come among the nations, they get swallowed up, devoured. They don't have, they're not able to hold Hold on, they get devoured. Next page. Yehuda deprived of the material side of the enlivens. So now there's a problem. The separation, the split took place. It began in Shechem. Yeravim Rochavim, that's where the split was. Shechem. The place where Yosef Tzadik is buried. Yehuda deprived of the material side that enlivens. Now, Yehuda no longer had this connection. There was this disengagement. So Yehuda is no longer attached to Yosef. That means that now Ruchni is just sort of drifting off in, into, into, a, into something of its own. And Gashmias is drifting off into something of its own. Yehuda, deprived of the material side that enlivens, was in need of a spiritual supplement to replace the missing material aspect. So now what happened was that Yehuda, Yehuda felt a tremendous, tremendous emptiness. In the, absence of that, in the absence of that material side that gives a sense of health and strength. So Yehuda had to supplement the Ruchnians with something deeper and something more. But unable to rise to the occasion, the spiritual power was also ruined. It became bizarre and strange. Yehuda too shall stumble with them. For Yushalayim stumbled and Yehuda fell. Because their tongue and their deeds are against Hashem. To provoke the eyes of His glory. 
became unstable and unhealthy. Even after the separation, the wound might have healed, had the two sides realized that though each had its own propensity, they might benefit one another. Yehuda could receive from Ephraim ways to round the nation in terms material and universal. Ephraim could imbibe from Yehuda the ways of holiness unique to Israel, be they Torah, character development, or prophetic ability. The political reality made no such allowance. It just didn't happen. We were fighting, arguing. didn't happen. This one's a shakers, this one's a goy, this one's this, this one's that. didn't happen. These are, these are fafrumte, this one's a goy. didn't happen. Were this mutual cooperation to come about, the dominant side would have been the spiritual. That would have been a natural thing, because the, the teva is that the spirit, the soul, dominates. For it is the soul that vivifies the body, because the soul is what gives life to the body. This is precisely what Yeruvim did not wish to occur. Our wise men summed it up in the anecdote that the Gemara tells us, and we'll end with this tonight. Chazal tells us that Kashbohu grabbed Yeruvim by his garments and said to him, Repent. And I and you and the son of Yishai, now remember Yeruvim is from Yosef, right? Ephraim. Repent, and I and you and Ben Yishai, which is David, will stroll together in Gan Eden. That's a great offer. <laughs> Notice we'll just we'll forget whatever happened. Let bygones be bygones, and just if you do tshuva, I and you and the son of Yishai will stroll together in Gan Eden. See, your oven missed. Who will lead? Umi Barash. Everybody knows it. Umi Barash. That's still the problem. It's still the problem. Me Barash. Me Barash. So Akash said, the son of Yishai, the Neshama, the soul. Ruchnias. Ruchnias. The soul. Sniffed Yeruvam. If so, I'm not interested. I don't. I'm not second fiddle. The goof is not second fiddle. God offered that together David and Yeruvam could bring the Jewish people to its goal of a nation consecrated to the Lord God of Israel, or worthy of being a light to the nations. There would be room within the overall structure for the universalistic dimension. That was, we, we're inviting you. Yeruvam, it's going to work out. We'll have, we'll have you know, there'll be room for studying secular things and science and myth. There'll be room for music and for art. We'll work it out, your needs. We'll work it out. This universalistic need that you have to connect to the nations, we get it. Hashem is saying, but to the question, who is at the helm? Me, Barash. The answer must be, the son of Yishai is at the helm. The answer has to be, the son of Yishai. Without the recognition of the supremacy of the spiritual side, for the portion of the Lord is his people, Yaakov is the lot of his inheritance. Yaakov chelonachaloso. Chelik Hashem Amai. Chelik Hashem. The Ruchnius. Heaven for a friend, Israel's destiny would be lost. Israel is the smallest among the nations, and God forbid, most likely to disappear. Yeruvim's ego, Yeruvim's ego stood in the way. If so, I'm not interested. This set into motion a long chain of calamities culminating in Israel's exile until the end of the days. That's what we're holding right now. Bring, bring the pages. We'll, we'll finish. We'll finish this minor mitzvah next time. Okay. Okay, <laughs> 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 Thank you. 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 Thank you.